recording starting over here. Fantastic. Okay, it is an absolute honor. It is an absolute honor to have Dr. Hinda Dubin with us today, tonight. Uh, aside from being an exceptionally talented and compassionate psychiatrist, uh, Dr. Dubin is everywhere in our community. And what I mean by that is every single communal initiative that in any way touches upon mental health, and from my perspective, what doesn't, uh, Dr. Dubin is always, always sitting there brought in, asked to join, asked to participate, asked to counsel because of the wisdom and the compassion that she's able to bring. Um, and not only does she agree to participate, but Dr. Dubin is a, a leader, a true communal leader um, who takes the initiative to fix things and to make our community a better place, a healthier place. Uh, you know, just this past, it was past two weeks or the past two weeks, I think we had two phone conversations. And in the conversation, I think I, I mentioned an idea, like a pipe dream, one of these things I keep in my back pocket, these dreams I have of some crazy initiatives. And each time before the words finish getting out of my mouth, Dr. Dubin says, let's do it. Make it happen, um, which is just emblematic of, of who she is and uh, the characteristic that she has. So, Dr. Dubin, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, thank you for all that you do for our community, especially right now. And we really appreciate you joining us tonight. So thank you. Welcome. Okay. So I am... Thank you, Rabbi Mason. It's such an honor. Thank you for being here. It's really an honor to be here. And I hope that I can give some help and support in a very challenging time. You know, people say we're going on the one year anniversary of going home for two weeks to flatten the curve. It's been a long time. It's been a really long time. And whatever I can do to help, I'm glad to do. Thank you. So thank you so much. Thank you. So you have a busy practice. You seem to be rather busy with your, your practice itself. And I know that there are many people in the community who turn to you just for support outside of your practice. Um, and there's a lot of discussion in our community and in the world right now about heightened anxiety, heightened depression. So what are you seeing on the ground from your vantage point? What are, what are you witnessing? What's, what's going on? Okay. The first thing I'm seeing is incredible courage. This has been very hard for everybody. And despite how hard it is, people's instincts are to reach out to help their fellow person and to be there for them. I wanna thank you and commend everybody for it because in many ways, people just had the rug pulled out from under their feet. And I say that it was kind of insidious because as I said, we started with two weeks to flatten the curve. People sort of stopped what they were doing, thought they were going home for two weeks and then it kind of globalized. And as it globalized and came longer and longer and the studies have borne this out, there's been an increase in anxiety there's been an increase in depression, and well, they know there's been an increase in suicidal thinking and suicidal behavior. There's been an increase in drug abuse, increase in alcohol abuse. It's been very hard, and people are trying, and people are trying to reach out and provide support. And if anybody here feels they need support, um, they can reach out through many of the communal organizations and hopefully get the support they need. Yeah, yeah. And and just to, to just mention one specific resource that I... I... I'm always surprised people don't know enough about, uh, but there is a wonderful, wonderful organization in the community called Relief Resources, uh, run by Rabbi Slansky, who does a fabulous job of connecting people to an appropriate therapist, um, if need be. But you know that, that that leads me to to another question because, you know, right now people are experiencing pain, different forms of pain, whether you know, and it's expressed in different ways, um, and people are know that things are different for them in their mind, in their physiology, just things are different. And sometimes I think 
people just maybe don't know exactly at what point is this something that is, okay, this is stressful, I'm going to get a good night's sleep, I'm going to go for a jog, I'm going to listen to some music, and it's going to be okay, or no, this is a real problem, and I need to get some help. And, and admittedly, you know, in our community, we, we struggle, I think, my, my sense is that we struggle, we are very hesitant to get help when we need help, uh, but especially now, it seems like there are more people who perhaps could use some professional guidance. What criteria, what, what guidance would you use for people to recognize that this is a time to seek out some professional help? I think Rabbi Motsi made some really good points. And I, you know, yes, I'm a psychiatrist and I'm a psychiatrist who does a lot of psychotherapy, but I do believe that it starts at home. And if you can help yourself by doing some of the things like listening to music or exercising or reaching out to a friend, those are great. So how do you know when you've kind of crossed the line from just being able to get support from family and friends or from self-care and to doing more? And I think some of the things that I would suggest Maybe you find yourself much more irritable than you used to be. You find yourself much more overwhelmed than you used to be. You find the things that normally lift your spirits don't. And when we talk about depression, we talk about a word that we call anhedonia. Anhedonia is the inability to experience pleasure from the things we normally do. And that doesn't have to be a big fancy trip. It could be normally when you hear a bird chirping out your window, it makes you feel good. Or somebody says something nice, you need to leap from that. That's really a warning sign that it's more than just feeling a little bit blah and that you need help. And in general, there are nine symptoms of depression. And if you have four or more of them, you might think about seeking professional help. And so I'm just going to briefly go over them. The first one is you're having sleep disturbances. Um, and so if you're having a hard time sleeping, you're having early morning awakening and you can't fall back asleep, or the opposite, you're just so miserable that you are withdrawing from life by sleeping all day. Any kind of sleep disturbance is a warning sign that you might have depression. Um, a lack of interest in the things that normally interest you. If you like playing mahjong, if you like learning, if you like going to the rabbi shir, you just don't enjoy it anymore. Feeling guilty all the time. We all feel guilty at times, and there are times when we should feel guilty, but if that guilt is so pervasive that you can't function, um, if your energy is really down and your concentration is down, if your appetite changes, you know, for some people, when they get depressed or anxious, they can't eat. For other people, they self-medicate by eating. Or if you start having thoughts that life really isn't worth living or even some type of suicidal thought, that is a, a red flag to seek out help. And so, and the anxiety, we all worry. And they always say you can't diagnose generalized anxiety disorder to mother. I've yet to find a Jewish mother who doesn't worry, 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 or any mother. But having said that, if that worrying is so great that you can't accomplish your activities of daily living, it's time to seek out help. So there's a difference between feeling like, yeah, it's been a hard year. It really hasn't been what I thought it would be. I've had a lot of losses. And having all these disturbances, particularly anhedonia or the inability to function. Right. Um, hope that's like a... Yeah, that's incredibly helpful. Um, and like you said, you don't need to have all of those symptoms, but even having, you know, four out of nine of those symptoms, that would be enough of a reason to perhaps make sure that you're, you're doing okay and getting that, that help. I'm curious if you have any thoughts just in general. I don't know if this, this assumption is true about, the, about people not seeking out help sometimes in our community. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about how 
we as a people who care about this to could break some of that stigma. I, I don't know if that's something that if that if that is true that there are that we have a certain hesitation in our in our immediate community, perhaps in a religious community, Orthodox community, and and is there something that we could do to possibly encourage people to seek out help if they truly need it? I think it's not just the Orthodox community. You know, you have the very fashionable New York East Coast Society and the LA Society, where you know you have a fancy car, you have a fur coat, and you have a therapist. But then you have the rest of America where they don't feel quite as comfortable having a therapist. And I think part of it is just being honest with each other. We all need a hand now and then. I often talk to people when they, people are going to Shadokhan and they're having concern that maybe somebody's not there. Because I would be much more interested in somebody who had a little anxiety and took care of it and got some help with coping techniques than someone who won't get any help for it because um, there's a stigma associated with it. And, there is sometimes, but I think the more we educate people and the more we train, and people grow. And there are so many remarkable people who suffer from mental health issues. And by, um, but I do think it's helpful for people to. I don't think you need to wear your heart on your sleeve and tell everybody everything that's going on in your life. But I think it's okay to someone that you hold close to share with them that you've talked to somebody that's been helpful to you. And um, a lot of times when people disclose that. Um, the other person will disclose that back to you. I once shifting gears a little bit, but had a patient who was a priest and he started having panic attacks when he got up to speak. And he decided to disclose that he gets to his congregation, that he gets panicky when he gets up to speak. And when he disclosed that, so many congregants came up to me and said, I'm so grateful that you shared that. I have this issue. So sometimes just being honest, because I sometimes think there's almost like a competition. Like, I've got everything under control. Maybe nobody else does, but I've got it all under control. So being honest and letting people know that sometimes you don't. And I think that Rabbi Benson's heard my Kugel story. But I think the Kugel story sort of captures that. It's not about um, getting help. But it's about admitting that you don't have it all under control or about looking at someone else if you come to my office. And she said, I'm so jealous of my neighbor. My neighbor totally has her life together. Her hair is always perfect. Her makeup's always perfect. When her husband walks in, dinner's on the table. Everything's perfect. Me, my house is flying. I sit down, I play with the kids. I love the kids so much. We play games all day, but the house is a mess. Coco's not ready when my husband comes home. Nothing's right. She, she's got her potato cocoa made by Friday morning. She's got her life together. I wish I could be more like my neighbor. An hour later, in walks the patient. I wish I could be more like my neighbor. I'm so perfectionistic. My hair has to be perfect all the time. My house has to be perfect all the time. The food has to be on the table. And meanwhile, I, I don't play with my kids. I'm so busy. And she, she could ignore the mess and she does what she should do. She sits in the place with the kids. And I looked down and sure enough, they were actually neighbors. And I think sometimes we have that phenomenon that we think everybody else has it together and we minimize what we do right and we maximize what they do right and we feel so inadequate. But really, we're, we're all human beings in this struggle together. And you know, chesed is about helping each other and about being there for each other and about being there for yourself. You can only have as much chesed or kindness. We say, you should love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. But to do that, then you have to love yourself. Be kind to yourself. And when you need help, don't be embarrassed to ask for it. 
Amazing. Amazing. Wow. There's a lot there that, that needs to be unpacked and needs to be reviewed. I love the Kugel story, so thank you for repeating that. Uh, it is a wonderful story that I'm sure many have not heard, and it's such a powerful idea that, that we all have our own pekulas, I guess, as they say. We all have our own bag of, of stuff, good, bad, and it's a package deal. Um, but I, I, I especially love the point you made about Shaduchim. You know, it's been a big hot topic issue recently about uh, Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg was uh, recently published uh, front page of Mishpacha about this question of mental health questions in regards to Shaduchim. And uh, I think your answer just flipped it on its head um, in many respects. The person who's actually willing and brave enough, uh, courageous enough to go get help, uh, that's the person who you probably are going to be able to trust knowing that they're able to fix things. Because we're all going to face issues in our life, but... Is this person competent enough to seek out help when they need it? Uh, that's 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 encouraging, uh, and that's a beautiful beautiful thought. So thank you for sharing that. That's 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 amazing. Um, so you mentioned you know when it's this idea that you know we're we're hitting that one year anniversary, and I think you know when this started, like you said, I, I once in a while I, I I go back all the way, I, I flip back to my posts from March. Like, we're closing our shul down for a week. <laughs> and I remember, you know, someone commenting, like, relax, it's a week. Um, anyway, it wasn't a week. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's some, been some time. And at the time, like you said, we just hunkered down. We had no idea what was flying. And we just had to completely seal ourselves off from, from society. Um, and things have evolved. There are people, many people have gotten their vaccines. Uh, we're learning more about what needs to be done, what doesn't need to be done. And I think there's also been a lot of discussion about some of the mental health toll of people being secluded, of people being alone, whether that's people who already um, are, are living alone and experiencing some levels of loneliness, whether it's young children or older children who just can't be, um, you know, can't be stuck at home for so often, so, so long, elderly people, even if they have someone else. But, but there's this balance, you know, in the beginning, it was just a purely medical question. But now that we know more and now that time has gone on, um, you know, there's this very, very challenging balance between our mental health and our well-being and our recognition that being alone is very difficult. And at the same time, our personal safety. So I, I know you, you take COVID very seriously and I know you, you care deeply about the 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 health piece but how do you balance that with the mental health piece and and how, how could what guidance can you give for people to be able to figure out how to go forward and try to, to navigate between those two so in the olden days probably before your time they used to say that's the sixty four thousand dollar question it's probably like in bitcoin uh, the five million dollar question <laughs> or whatever but it's hard and i think that what we talk about is mitigating risk rather than eliminating risk. And how we mitigate your risk in March may be different from how we mitigate risk now. Now, I wanna say that for each person, I don't know anybody's medical situation here, and you should check with your primary care provider and get that medical advice. But we're not weighing one that staying in and totally hunkering down and isolating versus nothing. There are consequences each way, and I certainly don't advocate going massless to a big party and, you know, being indoors in that situation. But I think, as Robbie Mosin said, we know more about how to mitigate risk. And I talked before about the warning signs for depression. I didn't talk as much about any. It's a risk-resource ratio. There's a ratio. There's an amount of risk, and there's an amount of resources you bring to bear to the situation. And you need to evaluate the risk and the resources in each, each situation. 
And so maybe the least risky situation was their door and someone's outside six feet away, also wearing a mask, who's been vaccinated or who has had already had COVID within the last 90 days. And at least seeing another human being has morbidity to it too. I would say particularly for teenagers, teenagers need their social communication. And, you know, our schools have done a pretty good job of being open. And the CDC data now seems to feel like there's not as much urgent to be in school. And they wear a mask. There are things that they do to mitigate the risk. I think it's about looking at your risk and your resources. So what do I mean by resources? Well, we now know that a mask is helpful. Perhaps even two masks is more helpful. We now know that getting vaccinated, you might still, there is still risk of getting COVID or transmitting it, but it's way lower. We've lowered the risk. We know that social distancing has a balance. So you might choose to leave your home, but have a mask, have social distancing. When you kiss, there's now people calling this helping people who have not been able to find a place to get a vaccine to help them track a place to get a vaccine. And so you have to assess your risk and your risk. If you are a 20 year old healthy person who doesn't live in a home with any elderly people, your risk might be lower than somebody who has some health issues and is older. And again, it's about mitigating and balancing the risk resources because totally isolating and totally being alone and missing everything is also hard. If you're very at risk, you may need to do that. And in that case, you need to be using all the other resources and strategies that are available to you. Um, and if you have less, of course, we don't want even people who aren't high risk to get it because they could transmit it. So I think following guidelines will say so. But I also think we believe where we say sometimes there is more than one way to understand something and the idea of tolerance and accepting every person has their way of adapting and coping with COVID and their ways that they've been informed by their rabbis or who work or their doctors or whatever they've spoken to. It's important for us to do what's right for us, but not to judge people on what the decisions they've made be like among people. And that's probably not helpful. Yeah, that 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 last point uh, really strikes, I guess, a chord or maybe a nerve for some, um, you know, because we, we do have you look around, you look down your block, you look at your, 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 your friends or former friends, hopefully not. But, you know, there, there are many differing opinions and it's become a very fierce debate fight, uh, sometimes vocally, sometimes on social media and sometimes in many different ways. And sometimes and this is perhaps most uh, distressing is sometimes when even within the same household, you have people who um, have different views about how to go about these things and trying to navigate how they're going to guide their family or just among themselves, what's going to be their family practice. How would you suggest with this approach of Elu Ve'elu Divrele Kim Chaim? Yes, there are perhaps different views and, and there's that balancing act between, you know, the risk ratios and, and figuring, you know, but that's a tough balancing act. So how would you suggest on a personal level, let's say you have a couple or two friends or some people who live together trying to navigate some of those differences. What, what possible guidance can you give in, in terms of navigating them? Well, on that one, I'm going to wish I had the wisdom of Solomon. That's <laughs> been very hard. And that has been an issue in families this year that I've really seen is 
practice your communication skills. And what I mean by that is not be like attacking the other person, like you always did this, or how could you do this, but have some I statements and actually set aside time saying, okay, honey, John, Sally, whatever. I know we don't agree on COVID um, safety measures. It's very hard for me to live the way you would like this to live with respect to COVID. Let's sit down together and talk about it and talk about how we can do this in a balanced fashion and what things work for me, what things work for you. It can be sometimes that one person is particularly rigid and there's no wiggle room. But the more you can have a open, non-accusatory, and the more you can have that discussion, not when you're mad. So don't have it like in a fit of anger, like, you know, Stas went out and spoke to somebody without a mask. Have it, write out some points, get some information. For some people, they really can't work it out. It's helpful to have someone mediate because it has been a source of tremendous stress in families and in couples and in extended families. You know, one family's like, this pays off, we're having all hundred of us together. Other people are like, are you crazy? Like, it's just gonna be me by myself. And so you have to really, if you could work through that kindly and graciously, but sometimes you're gonna need an outside mediator to help you figure that out. Yeah, I wish our wish society could have an outside mediator. Dr. Dubin, do you want to mediate for the entire country right now? I think we could use some guidance and some help. Um, but but I think going back to your, so yeah, on a personal level, having practicing those communication skills. You know, you make up. I'm sorry? I think you make a point. You know, in therapy, we talk a lot about no you. And because there's a lot of rancor and disagreement and unfriendly discourse in society, even if we try to be the nicest people in the world, it sort of trickles down to us. And we need to be aware that we've been in a very divisive environment. And regardless of what your politics are, but that people feel very strongly and that we don't have to emulate that, that we can be in a straw who talk about things in a more loving and kindly. And with that perspective of able to able, Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, so I think those are, if we'd have to, personally, if I'm gonna walk away, I wanna, I wanna ask a very practical question in a moment, but I think, you know, a, a, a matter of perspective, you know, walking around with that elu ve elu, this idea that there are differing views and perhaps not to jump to, to conclusions when we see people doing certain things that we don't necessarily agree with, uh, but also recognizing that we don't have to respond the same way others are responding. We could, we could, we could have a different way of communicating and a different way of thinking about other people, I think would serve us well as individuals and uh, perhaps as a community and really as a nation. Um, so I want to ask Dr. Dubin one final question before we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, but I just want to ask everyone here, I know some people sent me some things before. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of time for Q&A. If anyone wants to send something to me in the chat, don't respond to everyone. Uh, just send it to me. So you just find my name and just uh, send the question in the chat if you're watching on Facebook. I'm sorry, uh, I can't multitask like that. But if you're on Zoom, you could send me a question. And uh, if we have time, I'll direct it to Dr. Dubin. We, we will certainly not have time for all. Um, and we'll, we'll get as much as we can in. So while you're typing, uh, asking those questions, I want to ask Dr. Dubin one, one final question. And that is, what kind of coping strategies can you suggest for us? You know, as, as you mentioned when we began, you know, there is that line between this is problematic, I have heightened anxiety or slight, slight level of depression, but then there's 
the times when you really need to, to get some help, but everyone's experiencing some heightened something. You know, I posted something earlier today, you know, I, I walked outside my house and I saw the shoals tents where we dove in Minchama, you know, uh, we were diving outside, collapsed in the snow. So is it a big deal? It's not a big deal. It's just a tent. Who cares? It's a couple of thousand dollars. We, we took it apart. We're getting a new one. Life goes on. But just like one more time when I had to, you know, we have to come up with solutions. One more time where you just have a little more frustration. You know, kids have a snow day. One more time we have to navigate. Someone's home because of an outbreak. So there's, we're, we're getting taxed. Our bodies are getting taxed. Our minds are getting taxed. What kind of strategies can you share with us um, to, to just be in a better place right now? As, as you know, the topic of this class was it's Adar. It's a month of joy. A lot of people aren't feeling joy right now. How could we pick ourselves up a little bit, at least be a little calmer, a little bit of a, a better place? What can, what can you help? How can you help us? So before I address strategies, which is one of the bit, the first one is to validate. I think it's okay to validate that it's okay that you're feeling bad. It's okay that you're feeling confused. It's been a difficult year. So I don't think you have to just dismiss your feelings and say, you know, you should be happy. It's agile. We should just be happy, but acknowledge that this has been a hard time. And we talk a lot in what I do about dialectics. So dialectics are that you have an idea, it's really drawn from philosophy or thesis, and you have the opposite idea, the antithesis, and you find some way to synthesize it. And part of that synthesizing is, it's been a hard year, and I can still find joy in it. But you want to validate it for Stone tonight. But once you, and what are some of the losses that I think people have had besides, unfortunately, well, you know, the people have passed away, but people have had a loss of loss of um, we've had a loss of friends, we've had a loss of social structure, the loss of their soul, there's been lots of losses, so that's the losses, so then how do we go to cope with it? Once we acknowledge it, there are some of the things that you mentioned, it's helpful perhaps what we call self-compassion, so Tam said, what can I do to be kind to myself, this has been a hard day. And I don't, don't worry that by practicing self-compassion, you're going to turn from this loving, giving person into a selfish person. I would think of it more like an oxygen mask. You know when you're on an airplane, I know the first time I heard this, I said, when the oxygen mask drops, put it on yourself first and then on your child. And I'm like, what kind of a person would put it on themselves first and then on their child? But the reason is if you don't, you'll pass out before you can help you could reach out to a friend. You can have a buddy system. One day you're up, one day you're down. Um, you can practice um, mindfulness. You can do progressive relaxation. Um, you can do guided imagery. All these things can help you get out of yourself and feel um, a little bit better. In, in what... Dr. Dubin, I think we may have lost you. Are you still there? Can you hear me now? Now I hear you. Yes, yes, I hear you now. Um, no, uh, just, just, just recently, you're talking about the, you know, the self, the importance of self care and. Yeah. Okay. 
So um, I don't know if you wanted to ask me some of the questions that came in through the chat. Yeah, so um, the truth is, I think just based on, on time, and I'm going to apologize to those who asked, but I do, I do want to respect everyone's time and, and, our, and our schedule. So I think what, what maybe we'll, we'll shift gears a little bit, and uh, I'm going to ask everyone to allow themselves to do something they wouldn't otherwise do. So uh, Dr. Juven and I spoke earlier, and something um, that is incredibly important, something that I've been doing a lot of actually recently, um, some level of meditation, relaxation. Um, I was a little skeptical at first. I'm still a little, still a little skeptical, but I've found it to be incredibly, incredibly helpful and useful. Um, I, I've been using a, an app called uh, 10% and I've found it fascinating. It explains the, the meaning behind these relaxation techniques or these meditations and mindfulness exercises um, and then jumps into it. Um, and actually one of the first times that I've ever experienced anything like this was about eight or so years ago, I invited Dr. Dubin to Nair Tamid for a Shal Shuddis and she led a guided meditation or relaxation um, together. It was right before Marev at the end of a Shabbos, a long Shabbos, it was a summer. So by the time it was done, I was like, no one's moving, no one wants to go daven. We were just like all relaxed in our seat. It was great. Um, but I think we could use a lot more of this, you know, to your earlier point. Um, self-care doesn't mean you have to become selfish. Um, it just means that you're going to be in a better place to, to care for others and just be a better person. So um, Dr. Dubin, I'm going to ask you if you could lead us. And if I can make a suggestion, I don't know if you're going to suggest this, but I know some people sometimes are a little nervous um, relaxing themselves in front of others. And so when I've ever done that, when I've done this in, uh, in a college setting, uh, they've actually asked, in, in, allowed people to close their screen. So if you'd feel more comfortable right now to close your screen so that no one could see you, um, please feel free to do so. I love that. That's a wonderful idea. So what I'm gonna ask of everybody is to, as you're muting your screens, is to sit up very straight in your chair. Sit up as straight as you can. And then I want you to push your feet against the floor and feel the floor pushing back against you. And what I'm going to do is a guided in techniques into this at one time because we just have today together. So what I'm going to ask you to do, if you feel comfortable, is close your eyes. And I'm going to have you take a deep breath, and I'm going to cue you. I'm going to take the deep breath in, push it out through your mouth. So in, hold it, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and push it out through your mouth. Three, four, five, six. Seven, eight, take another deep breath in, in, hold it, five, six, seven, push that. And now I'm going to take you on a trip to the beach. But before we do that, I'm going to have you close your eyes and tighten every muscle in your body as tight as you crunch your knees, your thighs, everything as tight as you can. And this may seem counterintuitive. This is going to take you to a much more relaxing. So tight, tight, tight. And now very, very slowly, let's let everything go. Wiggle out your toes. Relax the bottom of your feet. Relax your knees. Relax your legs. Relax your shoulders. Feel anything that's bothering you. Sliding down your legs and out through your toes. 
Drag your arms and out through your fingers. As we relax, I want you to scan your body for anywhere that's still tense. Maybe your abdomen is tense. Maybe you're shook. Let your jaw unclench. Let your teeth unclench. And let anywhere in your body just very, very slowly imagine anything that's bothering you. It's like a stick that you throw in the throwing away, folding away. And now we're going to take our trip to the beach. So here you are, you're in your beach house. It's old and familiar. It smells ocean and sand and the suntan ocean. And you swing your bag over your shoulder and you head out to the beach. And let me count backwards from 10. This is not hypnosis. This is a place you can go to anytime you want because it exists in your own mind. So 10, you step out of the beach house. Nine, eight, seven, you feel the warm sand under your toes and the sun kissing your forehead. And you start to feel ever so peaceful and ever so relaxed. Six, five, four, let out your towel. Two, one, and you lay down. And as you lay down, you hear the ocean waves and the waves wash in and the waves wash out and the waves wash in and the waves wash out. And everything you just floating away, floating away, floating away. And you could just lie in this spot forever. And now we're going to take a moment to engage all your senses in this moment at the beach right now. So taste the ocean. Smell the ocean here. Listen to the birds chirping as they fly overhead. And little children playing in the background. See the sun behind your eyes and hear the ocean waves. Anything that's bothering you is just washing away, washing away. And I'm going to stop talking for a moment while you take a moment to be at the beach right here. It feels so good, and the sun feels good, and all your worries are washing away, and the waves washing away. What's bothering you is washing away, washing away, washing away. And soon it will be time to go back to your beach house. But when you go back, you will carry your confidence, you will carry your relaxation, back with you. And so I'm going to count forward to 10 when I get to 10. And when you're ready, but only when you're ready, you can find yourself back in this room. See, stand up, brush the sand, shake off your towel, and you hear those beautiful waves, you feel the sun. 
One, two, three. Start walking towards the blue chairs. Then you have to climb the ladder to get to the pier. Four, five, six. Standing at the top of the pier, you climb the ladder up, up, up. Strong, healthy, confident, and proud. You see the beach house in the distance. Do you know when you get back to that beach house, you're going to feel more confident and more relaxed. Seven, eight, nine. And when you're ready, but only when you're ready, and when I say 10, you can open your eyes and find yourself back in this room a little more peaceful and a little more relaxed. And 10. The nice thing about this exercise is you can do it anytime you want because this is a place that exists in your own mind and you can go there anytime you want. And I invite you, I, I covered a few techniques. The first is the breathing. Whenever you feel anxious to do that slow breathing activates your relaxation response. The second is what we call progressive muscle relaxation which starts with tightening every muscle in your body and then relaxing it. The third is the guided imagery, going to a place that feels good to you. And the fourth is really a mindfulness thing where you go through all your senses and try to engage your senses either in this very moment right here now or in that place where you've gone with the guided imagery. And so I invite you, different techniques work for takes a few minutes, but you can bring back a piece of confidence and a piece of the beach. Amazing. It's really amazing what, oh, whoops, I'm muted. There we go. Now, um, I'll be moved. If anyone has any questions, I'm happy to take those questions. Okay. Well, thank you. I, I just, I, it's just amazing. The if last. anyone has any more questions or comments. Go ahead. So if you want to unmute yourself, um, you should be able to do so. Um, now I'm allowing people to unmute themselves. Um, okay. So I know. People could be a little shy. Um, if anyone wanted to ask any questions, uh, certainly feel free to to ask. Um, and okay, looks like people are being a little shy, and I'll respect that. Uh, there are a few people on this on this on this Zoom, um, so I want to. Uh, well, I see. Um... I see Estelle raising her hand. Oh well, Estelle, could you un Estelle, could you unmute you like yourself? To ask a question. I can't see I that. do not need a sleeping pill tonight. I'm falling asleep <laughs> right now. You did such a good job. Yeah. Oh, that sounds good. Thank you. Amazing. I'm glad. Uh, Miriam? Hi. Um, hi. I see Miriam Jacobson raising her hand. Yes. Go ahead, Miriam. I hope I'm not shocking anybody, but, you know, earlier in your talk, you were talking about people having tensions and, you know, getting overly worried or whatever, uh, too, too much reaction and not, what about the fact, what about people who have been home for so long and sublimating the needs of going out, doing their usual activities and have 
have learned to adapt to all kinds of different situations over their lives because they're older <laughs> and have become very accustomed now to staying home and to uh, having Zoom, which is fabulous, which is the biggest miracle of COVID, and are, have become a little bit numb to their usual reactions out of necessity. How do you, when things go back to normal, how do we go back to normal? You know, I couldn't have set up a better question. That's an incredible <laughs> question. And I see people, I was, I think when I spoke to Trevor most, and I said, you know, it sometimes reminds me of, you know, I heard stories when World War II was over, some of these Japanese soldiers were on these distant islands and no one told them the war was over and they were still fighting the war 10 years later. And I feel like I have to say to myself, like, it doesn't feel right to leave my house without, I mean, I don't leave it, but without a mask on. Or like, am I, like, when people talk about going back to the work setting, it seems like, wait a minute, I'm going to be, or you look at pictures from a party a year ago, there were all these people around close to each other. It, it's, um, I think we are going to have to adapt back. And I don't think things are going to go back to exactly the way they were before. Um, and I think people have adapted to Zoom, finishable, which I know in your case, you're very sociable. But even so, um, I think it's going to take a while to adapt and to feel comfortable in the same way about around someone who's like, you see this even in children, you know, that if someone's not six feet away, they get nervous. And um, just recognizing, like I said, validating that that's going to be a response. And then gently be immersed in that. I wouldn't start when you are vaccinated and you emerge into the world going to a 300-person party. Um, but getting together with another vaccinated friend for coffee is like a good way to start. But I, I do think, and for those of us who are avoided or shy in any way, I think that it kind of reinforced it for the year. So I think you're right on the money. This is going to be the next phenomena of people having a hard time, as much as they've longed for re-emerging, having a hard time. Yeah. Rachel? Yeah, hi, thank you so much for this. First of all, there's so many amazing takeaways and just really, um, this is very helpful. I have a question about hygiene and I'm noticing in adolescence a lot, um, less so with kids who are in school, but kids who are, excuse me, who are over Zoom, some parents who are not getting out very much, um, have kind of let things go with hygiene and, I'm just wondering if you have any good tips for helping kids and parents be able to kind of get on track in that arena. Well, you're, you're a very astute observer, it's true. And they've said that people are showering less, that sales of soap and deodorant has gone down. And <laughs> while that might be working while they're at home, eventually people are gonna be emerged. <laughs> so we may want to start having those conversations. I do think that when people get on Zoom, like like everybody here tonight, they should be dressed to be on Zoom. They shouldn't be in their pajamas or um, not adequately groomed or look like they rolled out of bed 10 seconds before they started the Zoom. So, I, and I, I think that's just healthy. I got up, I put on my makeup, I got dressed, because I knew that once I stopped doing that, it was really slippery slope and the risk of getting more depressed or anxious were there. So how to address it, I, it depends what your relationship is with the teenagers. Um, if you have a relationship, you might say, you know, um, looks like you 
school's going to be reopening soon. What's your plan? You know, you know, people have also, some of it has been COVID directly related. They haven't gone for haircuts or they haven't bought new clothes or a lot of people have put on weight. So there are lots of things to address, but I would just sort of gently, I wouldn't comment negatively on how they are now, but comment on how do you anticipate doing things differently as you, as you re-enter. But your observation is correct. That is true, that is well. Thank you. Um, hello? Hi, This is Yosef Ferenc. Yes, yes. Hi, Yosef. How are you? Well, I'm fine, thank you. So, sort of make a comment as much what I've been through. Um, about um, two weeks ago, I'm, unfortunately, I was diagnosed with um, COVID. And I was pretty sick with um, COVID. And it was one of the worst depressions ever I had. So I was nauseous. I couldn't. I didn't uh, lack a taste, and I was tired. And I, I hear these different opinions going around. As people said to me, since you had COVID, you're um, safe. Well, even when I went to the doctor after um, after I had the COVID, the doctor said I'm the safest person. And when they have oh, other people say that uh, I have antibody now, that is, say it's I'm not at risk of giving COVID. But other than that, my dad and his wife, which I'm proud of, thank you, Dad and Helene, for wanting me to be safe. And as far as I thank you, Rabbi Mosin, for calling me when I was uh, sick, that uh, cheered me up. And they say, they, they, and they do, and, uh, and other people. Attention to my father and other. They want me to be still be very careful. They don't want me to go to a place where people don't wear masks. Like there's a shul I learn at, and the rabbi asked me if uh, to if I could um, come learn at night. And I said, look, I would love to. I have no problem with it. But as I said, I'm, I'm my dad and his wife are just concerned, especially right now. I just recovered from COVID. And it was a disgusting experience, gross. And so I hear some people say, you don't, you, I it could be less being careful because I've antibiotics and less getting rid of stuff getting COVID. Other people say I should still be careful the same way. So what do you say? Uh, am I, uh, am I have a lesser risk of getting COVID? Sorry, or? you went through this and I'm glad you're feeling better. All better, yes. I'm sorry you went through this, and I'm glad you're feeling better. Um, I'm not a primary care provider or an infectious disease specialist, but most of the doctors here are saying for the first 90 days after COVID, you're probably relatively safe to be around people. You won't get it again or spread it again. But um, you could have a conversation with your doctor about that. Okay. 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 Um, Thank you. Okay, and thank you everyone for, for joining us tonight. And thank you to thank Dr. You. Dubin for sharing your wisdom, for sharing those wonderful techniques, which I hope we all take with us. I know I'm feeling so much more relaxed. It's amazing what five minutes of, of 
self-care, whatever you'd like to call it, could do for you. Um, and just for encouraging us to be compassionate with ourselves and with others and for spending this time with us. So thank you so, so much. And I wish everyone a good Chodesh, a Chodesh Tov. It should be a joyous month for all of us. And have a wonderful evening and a beautiful Shabbos. Thank you so much. Shabbos, Rabbi. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rabbi Thank you. Thank you. Shabbos. Take care.